This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. My name is Nicholas Meyer, director of Star Trek 2 and 6, and you are listening to Standard Orbit on Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to old and new cast of Captain Kirk in the Enterprise. I'm Ken Tripp. I'm Haley Stoddart. And I am Zach Moore. And in the mid-late 2000s, before there was streaming and Blu-rays, you could buy whole seasons of shows for like $20. Uh, Star Trek did something unique. They did these fan collective episodes. And our friends at Earl Grey have come up with a cool concept where we talk about the episodes featured in these fan collectives. And so we have a two-part episode between Standard Orbit and Earl Grey coming this week uh, about the Star Trek Alternate Realities Collective. So today on Standard Orbit, we're going to talk about the TOS episodes in that collective. And tomorrow on Earl Grey, we're going to talk about the TNG episodes in that collective. So all the way from the 24th century, we have our friends from Earl Grey, Amy Nelson, Justin Oser and Joe Keegan, welcome to the 23rd century, guys. Well, thank you. A little time travel here doesn't hurt at all. And like we said last week on Earl Grey, like everything is easy. All this techno babble, just beam on down, time travel on through. Yeah, it's good to be here again on Standard Orbit. I guess we were on Standard Orbit at STLV, so it wasn't that long ago. But great to have everybody here, all six of us. Um, and yeah, I love when we do these crossovers. So, and, uh, this is my opportunity to talk about the original series, uh, which I don't get to talk about too much. Yeah. What's really nice is that we get to, to, to jump back and forth. And, um, because I, I think most of us, I put that in quotation marks, are fans of both, um, and many of the series. So I think we have a good time with it. And, um, you know, it's, it's nice to hop over the wall, although, eh, Standard Orbit, we kind of hop quite often. But anyway, um, <laughs> we have a good time with it. And great concept, Earl Grey team. This was a, a wonderful idea. And uh, we're excited to be uh, going down this list with you guys and, and making it happen. Look, look at us following a concept that they came up with first, Ken. <laughs> I know. We usually steal your concepts. So. I think it was my yeah. idea, wasn't it? Wait a minute. Hello, people. I think it was Amy's idea. Okay. It wasn't my it was idea. idea. I'll, I'll let you guys work that out tomorrow who came up with this <laughs> idea. But uh, so, you know, the fan collective. First of all, did anyone have these? 
DVD sets because for me at this time, like I still had like the tapes that my family had recorded and that kind of thing. So I, I actually never bought these, but I actually had some friends who were kind of on the fringe Star Trek fans. Like, yeah, yeah I like I like Star Trek. It's pretty cool. I'm going to pick up this. So uh, I've I've watched some of these with friends back in the day, but I never owned these fan collective sets. Did anyone here own these? No, no. sadly, I wasn't a big enough Star Trek fan at the time. Well, and I had all the TNG DVDs, and so I was like, well, why would I buy these? Because I already own them. So, yeah, I did not purchase them. Who wants to watch these Voyager episodes anyway, right? (laughs) Uh, But (laughs) I think it was a real smart concept, though, because, you know, if you remember how much these season set cost back when they came out, the TNG sets were like $120 for one season. I just bought, you know, TOS on Blu-ray, which I hadn't had before for like, $35 the other day on Amazon. (laughs) Okay, so that is how far we've come. Uh, But I I think it was really smart to come up with these because it's like, okay, you like some episodes, uh, different shows, you know, everything. It wasn't streaming at the time. You could just log on to Netflix or Hulu or CBS All Access and watch any of your favorite shows. So this is really smart. And then in theory, people would be like, oh, I like this show. I didn't see it before. Let me go buy the whole show. So the whole series. So it's a good marketing and business angle as well. But good thing for us is a good topic of conversation, too. So uh, there are a few TOS episodes we're going to be talking about today in the Alternate Realities Fan Collective. One being Mirror Mirror. uh, Another being The Enemy Within. Another being Turnabout Intruder. And finally, The Alternative Factor. I think it's interesting, though, I always I, I comment on this, and we were talking about the concept of what episodes they picked. I was like, okay, yeah, Mirror Mirror, good, alternate, universe. like, even the cover of this has the classic good Spock, bad Spock, you know, the goatee, it's classic, people parody it forever now, and it's great. Uh, mirror Universe, great. Alternative Factor, right? Alternate Universe, the two Lazarus, right? And then the other two, I'm like, eh, it's kind of a stretch, but I, I, I could understand, it's the quote-unquote warped realities factor. So we'll start chronologically. And uh, the first one being The Enemy Within from the first season of the original series, the episode where Captain Kirk had split in two with a transporter accident. So, hey, let's start with you. What are your thoughts on The Enemy Within? You know, watching it and then going back and watching it to talk about it and podcast about it, it's really funny the little differences you pick up on, things you don't notice beforehand. I find it really interesting, and this is a concept I don't know if anybody else noticed, that the weaker Kirk kind of becomes almost more of like effeminate. Um, you know, this this side of him, he has a hard time making decisions. And at the time, you know, in, in television, women, you know, oh, aside from like cooking dinner and stuff like that, like they had input from their husbands. And you kind of can see this like, oh, he just, I can't make a decision. Other people need to tell me what to do. And I was like, wow, like that came across really strong. And and shouty Kirk, uh, shouty sweaty Kirk, <laughs> not a good look. I am Captain Kirk. <laughs> famous clip you see if anyone is ever talking about William Shatner playing Captain Kirk, they always take clips from this episode. Yeah, and the poor landing party. I just I feel so bad for them. <laughs> yeah, it's too bad they didn't notice they had shuttlecraft sitting in the shuttle bay. But uh, anyway, yes, that is a big hole. <laughs> Ken, Ken, what are your thoughts on? The enemy within. Well, it was always an episode that I enjoyed. It was a, a pretty interesting concept. It was the first time they really played with the um, the transporters being a plot device, and then that became kind of a staple across all Star Trek series. You know, what what could you do with this thing? Um, how could it in fact affect folks? 
um, how could it cause bad things and how can it fix problems. So it really, um, you know, it's funny when you think about that they, they developed the transporter device because they didn't have a budget to have shuttles landing back and forth and they didn't want to take that kind of time up in a TV show. So it was kind of an afterthought, fix it, and um, how important it's been to the series. But overall, I mean, it's it's an iconic Star Trek episode, I think. Um, as you say, it personifies uh, Kirk as an actor. And I think, you know, he was challenged uh, to do, uh, I think, a, a very tricky thing, which, you know, back in those days, which, you know, and, and, you know, you have the stunt double there, but then you have to uh, split the film, so to speak, so that they're in the same shots. And none of that is easy. But um, overall, I, I, I really enjoyed the episode. I, I love the dog, my favorite character. And um, yeah, I, I... Yes, the hero of the episode is the it unicorn is. dog. Gives its life so that they can solve and, this mystery. And I know you probably didn't mean that intentionally, Justin, to say unicorn dog, <laughs> but it works. <laughs> it It's a dog with... Yeah, I know, horn. but I, I always and think of corn dog at or the uh, carnivals. But... Now I have a, oh. just a different <laughs> unicorn dog. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway. a, a couple things about this episode is it's written by Richard Matheson, who is a famous sci-fi author and writer. He wrote a lot of episodes of The Twilight Zone, a lot of the great episodes of The Twilight Zone. Uh, so it's cool to see him come over to the original series in, in this fashion. And yeah, I mean, it is it is the first like you know, double main character episode of Star Trek, which becomes a real franchise staple transporter accidents or clones or things of that nature. And yeah, William Shatner, again, he's, he's playing it up to 11, but that's kind of the point. You got to distinguish the two. And it's, when they use this clip out of context, it just kind of bother me because <laughs> it's like, OK, this was a this is the like aggressive over the top side of this character. And people are like, oh, yeah, William Shatner, look at him acting as Captain Kirk. That's crazy. But uh, when you see it in context, it, d it does make sense. And uh, speaking about the shuttle, uh, interesting trivia there. Uh, and when when they wrote the, uh, there's a TNG book called Ship of the Line. And, okay, and it has nothing to do with, with this episode per se, but there's a scene where Picard goes to the holodeck and talks to, like, a holographic Kirk. And they talk about, like, it's like his captain log during this episode or something. And he's like, why don't you use the shuttlecraft? As Picard asked him, he's like, well, the atmosphere of the planet, blah, 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 technobabble, you know, tech the tech. And I was like, oh, okay, good job. Good job, Star Trek. That's why I love Star Trek novels, plugging these holes <laughs> of Connor. Do you, do you remember that, Justin? Do you recall that from the book? Yeah, I'm recalling it now, yeah. But I do like in the novels when they plug something like that, because that is a big hole in yeah, this episode. Yeah, no, it, 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 you know, we didn't know at the time, like, what, six episodes in the TOS that those back doors were for shuttles. We just, you know, we didn't know. So, uh, but yeah, it, it's a good examination. I think it all kind of comes down to the conversation between Spock and McCoy, where it's like, this is a unique opportunity to examine the, the good and evil in a man, right? And that's what it is like Dr. Jackal and Mr. Hyde, right? Except there's like two physical versions of Kirk. So Amy, what are your thoughts uh, looking back on TOS from your 24th century perspective on the enemy within? You know, this is one episode that I seem to always remember. I really love the idea of, like you said, like this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, where they're split. And I love the concept of, you know, do you need, I need my pain, right? It's he needs his crazy side. And Shatner, he sells it. I put it in my notes. I'm like, he really looks crazy with those eyes. And so he's developed these two characters that's supposed to be one man. And I just think that's perfect for this episode. And I love because you also get to explore like what makes a leader because, you know, the more calm, centered, you know, effeminate, as Haley says, 
he's questioning what, what is it? How can I be a leader? You need both parts. And I think that's the essence of this episode, which I absolutely love. What about you, Justin? Well, I feel quite differently. I, I really don't like this episode for the reason that I think it seems to be saying like Kirk is split in half and there are these two parts and there's this one part that's, that's like, you know, not trying to hurt anyone, but just as like gentle and more indecisive and might lose the day. And then there's this other part that drinks too much, that assaults Rand, that does like all of these things that are really bad. And basically the the message seems to be like, well, you need both of those things in order to balance into into a good person or a good leader. And I just, I, that's just always rubbed me the wrong way, like that that you have that kind of message within this episode because it seems to be like well you know the bad kirk did this stuff and oh well that helps him to become a leader and let's put him back together and everything's fine so i i just get kind of stuck on that and it 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 kind of bothers me for that reason i i think that juxtaposition of how we have these different aspects of ourselves and it creates a whole um, because we all we all have these these parts to us. We could all, you know, have something happen to us that turns us into a completely different person than we were for the last like thirty years. So there's this juxtaposition that you know says, okay, we've got these different aspects, and it's how we use our prefrontal cortex to determine, hey, are we going to make this decision based off of these circumstances, or are we going to make this decision? And it all goes back to all these different uh, aspects of our personality. And we have to have all of those. And that's part of the human struggle is having these different aspects and saying, I could turn and go this way and I could be this cruel, mean, hateful person, or I could be this person that makes these better decisions. And so I think that's what this episode is trying to call back to, that we have these different sides to us that we have to utilize parts from both because otherwise we could become just really lazy I don't know how to make any decisions for myself because that's really hard and scary and so that stronger side of our personalities gives us that chance to be able to do things that we might not normally do but also prevent us from doing things that we might normally do yeah I can see that I get sorry I guess the only thing that I would say about that is I think we all have the potential based on our circumstances or certain choices to go one way or another, but it feels like what it's saying is like, you know, Kirk's made all these choices and he seems to be a good person. He seems to be a good leader, but like lurking within him is still this other part that's terrible that allows him to do those things. I don't know. I, I can see that, but it, it just still like bothers me that that seems to be the message. But. Well, and I think what Star Trek is doing here is showing the extremes and, you know, cause you've got this very crazy madman who's power hungry and, you know, wants all the control, and then you have the opposite. And so it's a good story because it's showing the extremes and then saying, okay, let's take the moderation and apply both. And like you said, Justin, it's the balance. It's the balancing act. And that if we do go to extremes, this is what can happen. Suppose can we not draw parallels with the, the chase and the curling Nescos, the, um, the gift that Professor Galen gave Captain Picard? And that every person's like a, a community of kind of different aspects of their, their personality. And I suppose, like you said, Amy, it just takes it to extremes. And that we're just kind of binary composites of kind of ultimate positive and ultimate negative, as shown by Captain Kirk. That's a good callback. 
Joe. And, and to get your thoughts on what are your thoughts overall on the episode itself? And we can wrap back because this is a good discussion point about this episode. We're all wrap back around to it, but I want to get Joe in here as well. So, yeah, I'd, like Ken, you said the dog, the dog steals the show. It should have won some kind of an award. Um, not only does it have some kind of unicorn horn, horn it has um, lobster like antennae. Like that are orange and white striped antennae, and what looks like an exposed spine. It has weird bony ridges down the entire length of its back. It's the most genius creation I've ever seen. I absolutely love it. Um, anyway, I like the the way kind of visually they portrayed Bad Kirk. How you could see the difference with another way when your wee or your parents scare you by putting a torch under their chin. And it uplights your face. A bit like you can see just now with the sun coming through my the, the window <laughs> and I'm kind of only lit from one side. Um, yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting, simplistic, but interesting. Um, I made some kind of discovery. Now, um, in Star Trek, when you're researching for podcasts, sometimes you find um, some information which kind of blows your mind. So there's a bit where Badkirk staggers into sickbay and demands the Saurian brandy from Dr. McCoy, and I was like, oh, sorry, and Brandy, it's something we've known as a staple from Star Trek forever, that and Romulan, Romulan Ale, um, but sorry, and Brandy is obviously made by the Saurian race, and we've seen two examples of the Saurian race in Star Trek. There's a Saurian depicted on the wreck deck scene in the motion picture, um, and there's also Linus from Star Trek Discovery. He's a, he's a Saurian. I was like, oh! <gasps> The brandy and Linus are the, from the same planet. That is like we we have to see Linus drinking some brandy and season. Oh yeah, three, or right? he brings it as a gift to Captain <laughs> Saru or something. That'll be perfect. Oh, yeah, am- amazing. Um, what else did I think? I thought what struck me. I thought it was a really good episode, like really solid Star Trek episode. And then I realized it was episode six of season one, and I was like, wow, for such an early episode they really kind of hit the ground running and found their found their footing quite well but then there was a bit with, with Spock and um, talking to Captain Kirk the good Captain Kirk and he says something like as captain you can't be seen as anything less than perfect the crew would lose faith in you and you would lose command but he says it as if he's kind of really angry about it and I was like mm, that's not really Spock like but I suppose that's just He's only six episodes in. He's still to find the Spock that we. Right. Is, we don't. He doesn't. Didn't have all the information that we have about Spock. Now, um, yes, yeah, Sulu. The um, Haley, you mentioned the poor away team on the surface, like they're freezing yeah. to death. But all Sulu does is joke. He asks for a pot of coffee to be transported down, and if we don't have any coffee, do you have any sake? And then it's just like joke after joke. <laughs> if I'm yeah. dying and freezing yeah. to death, I'm not really going to joke. I'm going to say, get me the hell out of here before I die. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> deals with crises differently. I suppose. Bring yeah, you humor. know, when when I was watching that, I was like, you know, Sulu really has trust in his captain and in the crew there because, yeah, he's joking and making light, but I think because he knows he will be saved. What you do is you put your phaser on maximum and you dig a, a tunnel and make a cavern, and then move the rocks down and heat up the cavern, and you're fine. Obvious. That is a great idea, John. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's actually that a really a good, good idea, idea yeah. instead of just heating up the exposed rocks. Yeah. 
However, though, I will say, you know, in the beginning we have that tech and he has to go back up to the Enterprise because he fell and there was like all that yellow <laughs> dust, which I think of as sulfur, and it was a little bit radioactive. So I don't know if they'd want to dig a tunnel into there we the go. radioactive earth. There we go. Earth. Point mm. and counterpoint. There it is. So yeah. We need both of us yep. on that away team, Haley. <laughs> I love the great ideas and you can kind of say, just check me. Like, Joe, maybe not. You'll blow up the planet. I am the mom of the group here, so. So to wrap back around, I, I think with the whole deal with, you know, Rand in this episode, Kirk, I, I understand what they're doing with Kirk because it's like your animal impulses on this side, your intellectual reasoning on the other side. And so that, that, that's the whole kind of examination point of the episode. But the, the thing that does stick to me is like, oh, that's a, kind of an issue. It's like Spock, of all people, makes kind of a joke about it at the end. And it's like, ooh, that did not land well, Star Trek. What, what, are, you, what are your thoughts on that, Amy? Um, I wasn't going to bring it up because it's not really the discussion of this episode, but I've got multiple bullets and I am not happy with the whole Janice Rand thing. Yep. The whole conversation, it was completely uncomfortable. I, I know the time that it was and that just makes it even more sick to see it now from where we are. And yeah, why would Spock say, oh, well, he was an imposter, like that excuses it and that he had some interesting qualities? Uh, no, I, no, I'm not going to get into it, but just know that I was sick in my stomach about it. I mean, that that's one of the big problems I have is what happens to Rand and how they, they treat it. So yeah, I think it's a problem. But is it just a kind of an artifact of the time? If if we were having this discussion back in 1966, would it even come up? You would be having the same discussion in 96 and almost to 2006. It has been a very new swing for all the right reasons. Let's not just say this is a 50-year-old problem. This has been a Hollywood issue and a blown-off issue until very, very recently, how women are treated, um, the impacts and the horror um, that goes on with being attacked. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's something that I think people should watch and learn from and say, this is exactly what not to do. And I think it's a good example of that. But let's not just say those times, um, because you can keep going, um, you know, and, and you look at the, the people that have fallen um, so far that were very high up in Hollywood, these extraordinarily you know, big wigs or whatnot, supposedly very progressive and sensitive to all these things, exploiting women like you wouldn't believe. It's a it's a horrible thing. So I I have no problems with hearing the criticism of it. Um, but let's just be careful when we say those times, because those times were not that long ago. Well said, Ken. So any final thoughts then on this episode before we move on? So I wanted to ask you guys, talked a lot about the dog. I mean, is there something to be said about animal testing that they tested on the dog first, the transporter? And I was like, oh, wait a minute. The dog is has a life, too. <laughs> Scott, Scotty has a bad history of doing these things. I mean, he did it to Admiral <laughs> Archer's Beagle. He's like, if you are an animal of any kind, dog, cat, fish, fowl, Scotty's going to put you in the transporter and run some tests on you. So that, that's a good point, Dave. 
<laughs> yeah, I felt bad for the dog, and it dies. I mean, well, yeah. Hmm. I mean, that's that's a whole other question. Now you're talking to a person who works in the medical industry, medical device, and things like that. And um, yeah, that could be a rabbit hole. Um, I'd love to have a, a, a an overall discussion on animal testing and all that stuff, and what you can and cannot do nowadays. But uh, yeah, that was that was a shame. Nobody want, wanted to see the unicorn dog pass away. But he was nasty. Boy, was he nasty. The the, the part that wasn't, yeah. He he made he made bad Kirk look like a puppy. I am unicorn dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. I think I think we just found the title for today's episode. But there's a part where um, Spock and Scotty are trying to um, sedate the dog when it's in its crate, and the thing's a vicious wee snipe of a beast, um, and you would not put your hands in that crate if it's like a pure evil dog. All the bad parts of doghood been distilled into one life form, then you will not put your hands anywhere near it. You'll have some kind of robotic medical armature to um to um sedate it. I wanted to I wanted to say one more thing about the the bit where Kirk Bad Kirk screaming tied on the sick bay bed. Kinda of rem- it's so overly acted. It reminds me of the, the woman from the deleted scene from Evolutions that we spoke about recently. Oh god, that one! Oh my gosh, okay, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Little Earl Grey deep cut. Okay, all right. Well, we'll close the book on the enemy within and move on to the alternative factor. A very infamous episode of the original series. You know, we started with the standard Rupert crew last time. We'll go back and forth in the episode. Let's start with the Earl Grey crew and their thoughts on this episode. Joe, what are your thoughts? I don't know what it was about. I think they tried to go. <laughs> I think they tried to go. I have the same problem with um, the TNG episode that we're going to talk about. Um, what's it called? Um, Frame of Mind. Still no clue what that's about. Um, but we'll tell. We'll tell you tomorrow. No, I've, I watched it today, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I know, I know, I know what it's about. I know what happens, but I'm like, why? Why bother? It's confusing. Um, so. Um, alternative factor. I think they were trying to go really sci-fi, like kind of highbrow sci-fi, like two thousand one: A Space Odyssey, and they kind of missed the mark. The only thing I've really got from it are some cool science facts, so I might as well tell you about those. There was a really cool visual effect that they use when the the this the tear in space occurred, where they superimposed the nebulae, and it's the Triffid Nebulae. Or Triffid Nebula, um, and it's M twenty. It's from the Messier catalog, and it's number twenty. And it was discovered by Charles Messier in seventeen sixty four. It's around about five thousand two hundred light years from Earth in the constellation of Sagittarius, and it has a radius of twenty one light years. The name Triffid comes from the fact that it's made up of three lobes, and it comprises a dark nebula, an emission nebula, a reflection nebula, and an open cluster of stars. Now, interestingly, also in 1764, the British Parliament imposed a sugar tax on the <laughs> American colonies, and um, the city of St. Louis in Missouri was founded as a French trading port. <laughs> well, there's so much more to that image than I ever thought. Well, Joe, I, I just want to say thank you for pulling something out of the alternative factor, okay? I mean, that was something. <laughs> All right. Amy, Justin? <laughs> well, <what> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, so this was the one I actually watched first because I know our good friend B. Shay likes the alternative factor, right? He, he loves, loves it. He loves oh. things that no one else does. Yeah. Yes, yes. Hey. And apparently Haley I'll does stand too. Up for so I'm, I'm, I'm in that camp with him. I mean, I'm sorry. Do you watch Children of the Corn 6? Okay. No, that's where I'm going. No. Okay. It'll be fair to Brandon, who I know will listen to this. It's Children of the Corn 4. That he loves. <laughs> that he loves. Because he's only seen six once or twice. I listen. I listen. So I was really looking forward to see, you know, what is Bichet talking about? And then I was so distraught that I went on Twitter, which I shouldn't have. I do apologize, Senior Chief. I just couldn't get over what I was seeing. But I do have something that I want to say. Good. What I love about this episode is the twist that they do at the end. Like, so we have, and I think it's a great idea. You've got the same space and same time, different universes, right? This parallel universe. But the twist is, is that the person from our, like what we would say, prime universe, he's the crazy one. And the one in the alternate timeline, he's the one that's that's the sane one, that he's good and that he's the one that figures out how we can stop this. And I like that twist because we normally see our prime timeline as the good one and then everything else is bad. So I did like that, a little twist there about the alternative factor. And what's great about that is the entire time you're watching the episode, until the end, you don't realize that the one you've been seeing and encountering is the one that you shouldn't like. Like, you think that you should be rooting for that one. And so that just adds to that. And and I forgot about that even this time. (laughs) (laughs) So, Justin, what are your thoughts? Well, let me just start out by saying, I know this is generally seen as one of the worst episodes of of TOS and I know Brandon loves it. I just want to say like I give all of these things a chance. I love some episodes that I know are not well liked at all. I love Spock's brain. I love Move Along Home. I love Threshold. Putting it out there. But for the alternative factor, I mean the thing that always gets me is that (laughs) that you have this guy Lazarus and he is just like ranting and raving about stuff he's falling off of cliffs he keeps like doing this dramatic thing and like he falls into the other universe and they keep doing this thing where they're they're like you know overexposing the frame or whatever they do and they're like flipping it around and i i kind of like enjoyed it more than the enemy within because i was just laughing because it's just kind of funny the stuff that happens and one thing i don't hear people talk about I know it's a weird thing is he has a goatee, but it's this weird thing where the the hair like comes down a little further and I can't stop staring <laughs> at his his hair. But but like for, but but let me say I do agree with Brandon on one thing, which is that it's a cool concept. I think correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first time that you really see like an an alternate or parallel universe in the original correct. series that so introduces something that's really cool. I like the idea that it's like an antimatter universe and they might annihilate each other. And I think there's like a cool concept. It's just in the execution. It just like keeps going back to this this stuff that's like overdramatic and that I just keep laughing at. And plus, the, like the spaceship that he has, that is like a classic like, you know, UFO with like the bubble on it and everything. So It's a Jetsons ship. It's a Jetsons ship, right? I love I love that ship. I think it's so cool. I do too. Where's the Eagle Moss <laughs> Lazarus spaceship. That's what I want to hang from my rear view mirror in my yeah, car. What the hell? Yeah, I would totally buy one. It just seems, 
okay. It just seems out of place in Star oh, Trek. Oh, it's but completely anyway. out of place in so, Star Trek, but I think it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so like overall, overall, I'm entertained by it. I actually liked it more than I have before, but like it's it's not good overall. The execution is just weird in a lot of places. So. Okay, a plus and a minus then. The minus is his beard, like Justin says. It's like one of those, if um, like if you inappropriately dress as a Chinese person, oh. like Confucius, and you have one of those big, long, really thin beards, it's just utterly <laughs> diabolical. Um, plus thing is that they probably, maybe, I assume, introduced the idea of matter and antimatter mm-hmm. to public that might not have heard yeah. of it before. And what they say about it, is kind of fairly accurate. Although, does Kirk not go to the antimatter universe at one point and doesn't get annihilated? He, he does, but but he's not exactly the same as Lazarus. I mean, I think they're trying to use the concept, like, in order for things to annihilate each other, like, you, you would need something in the same particle, like an electron and its antimatter counterpart, the positron. But if you had different types of particles or different types of beings, apparently it's not going to annihilate. You need someone that's... Like, that's that's what they say, Joe. I'm not saying it's scientifically accurate how they <laughs> portray it. But. It's not. I'm saying it's not. Yeah. Now, now, Haley, you've been patiently waiting. You're a big fan. Look at her. She's ready. Episode. She's ready. So here's your chance to win us all. Yeah, I, I do. I am with Bichet on this. Uh, it is kind of silly, um, but I do enjoy the concept of this. The concept of this show is really incredible. And like Joe was saying, I think this really introduced that those two words, matter, antimatter, to the general public at a time where we knew about it, but we obviously have learned more over the years. Um I I once argued over on Trek Ranks that Lazarus was a hero and I will totally still argue that point because yes he kind of created this whole thing and we have this possible annihilation of both universes if this tear this hole in in time space continues to grow and it's a threat to everybody so at the end he saves everyone he traps himself with himself but he saves everybody, and uh, I really enjoy it. And I will say, you know, everyone's like, oh, how many times does Lazarus fall off a cliff? I counted. It's only twice, people. I think it's, it's twice. Is it only twice? I thought it was three. But <laughs> two times. It's 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 one too, it's one too many. <laughs> yeah, H- Haley, but how many times do they use that music cue when we see that nebula shot? Like, yes. I think that happens like six times, something like that. But, you know, like, I like the effects when they when they are having that distortion. I think it's really neat that the camera turns upside down. It's got, you know, kind of that negative effect film look. I really like that. I think it's really, it's very different from what we've seen. And it is a very high concept, I think, sci-fi notion and it's great we see this alternate reality for the first time and how many times more do we see it since uh in different iterations so i'm sorry guys i like it a lot i think it's great nothing to apologize for Haley. you know what i mean <laughs> we all i mean look at we, we talk about it on standard orbit all the time right my favorite one is one zach's is three yours yes, is five is as far as the movies go <laughs> Those are in nobody's top five, <laughs> ten Star Trek movies. Maybe three. All three of you are very unusual. In we that are sense. unusual. So yeah, it's. I think uh, we have we have some diversity here and diversity of thought. I think that's great. I think that um, all the things that you mentioned are absolutely true. It's just that you had a twenty-minute story that got stretched into forty-eight, 
and they really struggled with it and and the constant spinning you know i, I call it the you know the the newspaper new edition you know flippity floppity <laughs> thing that that goes yes. rolling back and forth of the screen you know the um the premise of the plot was great but it got lost in its poor execution and that's why i struggle watching it because it's like if if this was a half an hour show, I think it would have been perfect, and it would have nailed mm. it. Um, and should it have been an animated series episode, right? Funny you should say that, Justin, because <laughs> on uh, Saturday, Saturday morning, morning track, track yes. yeah, we we did Brandon, myself, and Aaron actually developed a sequel to the Alternative Factor. So if you haven't listened to that episode, we kind of did it on the fly as we went. And uh, I think we came up with a pretty good concept. So it was it was it was a lot of fun to do that. So all is not lost. But I, I you know I, I appreciate the fact that people love shows that other people don't, and there's different things. But but that one's always been a tougher one for me. I think even when I was a kid, it was just too annoying for me to watch because I wasn't get, I didn't get the concept. I was too small. And then I was like, man, this is it. yeah. On to the next one. Yes, but what of Lazarus? What of Lazarus? <laughs> What of Lazarus? Yes, indeed. What of Lazarus? Yeah. Ken, was the the premise of your your sequel episode um, to take a copy of the the antimatter version of the alternative factor episode and introduce it to our universe's version to have them mutually <laughs> annihilate so the episode didn't exist in the no, first place? No, I'm, I'm, End of Star I'm, Trek, Joe, I, I, no? I'm just not that smart. No. <laughs> <laughs> I like it though. All I'll say about it is we actually had Brendan Shea on uh, th- almost three years ago, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And I looked this, I had to look this up because, as you all know, I'm notoriously bad with episode numbers and titles for this podcast. But Standard Orbit 148, so many alternative factors. So Ken, myself, and Brandon Shea Matala all talked about this episode and had a good time doing it. So we're fr- I refer you all to that episode of Standard Orbit. Uh, but I, But I will say... That uh, the things you guys have been saying about how like the science and introduce cool ideas, even when Star Trek is poorly executed, it can introduce some interesting ideas that make you like, oh, hmm, what is that? After all, what what is where did this picture of this nebula come from? Things of that nature and antimatter. So good on you, Star Trek, for that. And I will say this is more so than the enemy within a more appropriate episode, I think, to put in this fan collective. Yeah, it is an actual alternate reality. (laughs) I was just going to say the fan collective is actually split into four categories. Alternate realities, parallel dimensions, mirror universes, and alternate lives, and that's how I think that's how they justify shoehorning some yeah. kind of weird Sh- episodes. Yes, twisted <laughs> realities are what Enemy Within and Turnabout Intruder are. So I'm like, ah, okay, fair, fair enough, fair enough. Moving on to our next installment of the original series, we have Mirror Mirror. Now the the Mirror Universe is its own category, as you were mentioning, Joe, on uh, this this collective. Uh, we have Mirror Mirror, and then we have some Deep Space Nine episodes. We have Crossover Through the Looking Glass and Shattered Mirror. They leave off Resurrection and Emperor's New Cloak, which is fine by me as they should. because those are those are the two weakest episodes of that Mirror Universe uh, subplot on Deep Space Nine. They should have stopped at Shattered Mirror, uh, and then of course they have Inner Mirror Darkly on there as well. So we have every single Mirror Universe to that time because this came yep. out in the late 2000s. So we little did we know in Discovery we we're going to go back there. Uh, but Mirror Mirror, this is the one that started it all. I love it. It's classic. It's on my top 10 list of TOS, but let's get into what you guys think. Uh, Ken, what about you? Yeah, it's a um, it's a great episode, I think, uh, con- conceptually. Again, you know, Star Trek, when, th- when they come up with these plots every once in a while, you go, man, that was that was extremely creative. And um, and the, and the way it was acted out, um, the, the fight to get it right. Uh, and the fact that it was out there, I mean, it, it's it's kind of interesting always when you see your characters 
and you put them in a completely different, I know it's kind of a fish out of water situation, but what, what, what if the Federation was bad, right? What if it was Imperial starships versus United starships? Um, all of that. Uh, I think that it, it started something, um, obviously that has perpetuated itself across Star Trek, but it didn't perpetuate itself because it was poorly executed. It perpetuated itself because it was just a fun concept and it allows, I think, the actors to do things differently, to see things differently. Um, it's kind of like, um, you know, enemy within in a sense. It's that double consciousness of, of uh, two universes. You know, if, if we were ruled by the wrong side of our heads, this is what we'd become, right? And of course, you know, that does happen. But it, it was, um, I thought it was a really well done episode overall. And um, it, it's, I would say it's probably top 10 for me as far as TOS episodes. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a fun watch. It's really done well. Yeah, I I enjoy this one. Um, of the few mirror episodes that I enjoy after a while, I kind of got really over it. Um, this one <laughs> yes. being the kickoff was really great. Um, there's different things that I find really fascinating about it. Uh, I always enjoy that somehow they're in their mirror counterparts' clothes. Oh, yeah, the clothes swap. I love that. <laughs> I'm like, okay, <laughs> sure. So then it, it kind of makes me think of like, well, maybe just like their soul or your whatever you want to call it is what transferred over rather than the person themselves because they're in their clothes. But um, and I enjoy those those counterparts and seeing these different aspects. I'm sure it was really fun for the actors to kind of play this t slightly evil side of the of their character um gotta love spock with with the beard and um i like that uh sulu is in charge of security and he apparently he monitors computer usage and if it's too much then you get flagged <laughs> and like he comes after you yeah he is, he is the security guy and the it guy on the enterprise yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. um and then the one thing that i i I'm not too crazy about in this episode, and granted, he could be faking it, but um, that Spock's going to die from being conked on the head, but uh, Sulu right? getting karate chopped, he's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was a really heavy piece of yeah. pottery that Kirk <laughs> broke over his head, you know? He was about to it's die. third dynasty piece of pottery. <laughs> <laughs> this man's going to die. <laughs> why is that in sickbay? Why, why is that there? <laughs> so... All right. Well, Amy, what about you? What are your thoughts on Mirror Mirror? Yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. Um, I was thinking, like, why isn't Spock as bad? I mean, he sort of saves the day in the Mirror Universe, you know? And then I was like, well, I'm thinking because logic is neither mm -hmm. bad or good. You know, I mean, it's just logic. And so Spock is going to be the most constant. And I really like that in the episode and how that's shown. Um, I also am so impressed with the, uh, adaptability of the crew getting beamed down and then trying to adjust to what they're seeing and, or her, uh, you know, going to the bridge and, you know, trying to fit in and Kirk doing the same thing. I'm just like, man, to be that adaptable in such a bizarre, strange situation that they haven't even considered. I mean, they grew up in the Federation. They know its standards, and now it's just flopped on its heels, you know? So, and I love the moment when they have that realization that's like, well, what do you think is happening on our side? And what's, oh my gosh, I got the chills. Yeah, I loved it. 
That was an interesting transition too. They literally did like a PowerPoint effect with the swap of, this, of the thing. And if there's one thing that that I would have wanted to see more of, it's Kirk, you know, or Shatner playing the Mirror Kirk. But yeah. as we kind of mentioned before, it is kind of like in me with him. We kind of saw that in that episode. So this is giving the other characters and actors a chance to dive into that darker side. So I have a question. Uh, Kirk catches on that they're not in their reality, like rather quick. I mean, obviously from the different uniforms and stuff. It made me wonder, does he like have an inkling about like the mirror universe? Because he sure caught on really quick that they were not where they were supposed to be. You know, know. Haley, a lot of weird stuff happens out there in space and they have a special Starfleet Academy course. Like if you're caught in a situation where people are different and you don't know what's going on, here's what you do. So I think they're well trained. (laughs) <laughs> Very good, Justin. <laughs> what, are your, what are your overall thoughts on the episode, Justin? I love this episode. I mean, Mirror Mirror, I think, is one of the very best in Star Trek. It started the concept of the Mirror Universe, which I have I have liked most of the Mirror Universe episodes across Star Trek because I think it's a great contrast between what we usually say see with, with Starfleet and the Federation and its ideals and kind of twisting that in a different way and seeing kind of what the same people and the same power and the same technology can do if it's used for different means or if there's something different that happens in that universe. So I think it's it's a really fascinating way to look at things and how things could have gone like at a different fork in the road. So I love this episode. And I'm, I mean, I've seen it many times and, and I'm amazed. I was watching it today. It's still a thrilling episode. It doesn't feel like it's too long. It doesn't feel like there's stuff they've thrown in there that doesn't work. The only thing that I would probably want, I think, is more of like the the mirror i think we get some mirror kirk but seeing like um you know the the mirror mccoy and scotty and uhura they're just kind of standing there in the back in the brig and they don't do anything so that would be nice also one interesting thing is apparently in the mirror universe the captain's chair gets a higher back that's kind of cool i guess more imposing i don't know so there are these little little differences like that but i think it's a fantastic episode it was definitely the one i enjoyed the most out of the ones that we watched and i mean what can i say the mirror universe is is iconic and i just i I love it i think it's it's fantastic very good now now joe do you have some hot science facts to hit us (laughs) about with this episode uh no no i don't sorry um Next one, Turnabout Intruder, yes, but Mirror Mirror first, I have mashed up two words to make a new word, which is Uhurabs. Yeah, Oh my gosh, amazing, I had to tweet that too. She's like, whoa, she looks amazing. Um, With Uhura in mind, I quite like the way both Uhura and, what's her name, Mary... Marlena? Marlena Kirk's girlfriend, they're portrayed as kind of more powerful women in Star Trek, which I quite like, but I don't like it because you have to be in the mirror universe for that, for, to be a powerful woman kind of thing. Um, and not getting too political, I think we might actually be in the mirror universe sometimes, um, especially in the UK, because our politics are crazy. What I'd said, I had a question, why is Spock in the Terran Empire? I, I'd like, I thought Terrans were like just human well, the the Vulcans and the and the Terrans, as they call themselves over there, have an alliance, and pretty much they're the head two okay. guys of sure. the Terran Empire. That's how I read it. Okay, and I don't think there's any sense, at least in this episode, that somehow the the Terran Empire like hates all aliens or doesn't want them to be a part. I think they're okay, at least in this version yeah. of it, with with them being part of the Empire and and adding all of their skills to it. Yeah. 
And, and I always saw the these Vulcans in this universe being more like Romulans, because even when mm. Spock is threatening Sulu, he's like, if I were assassinated, my associates would seek revenge, and some of them are Vulcans. And, and Sulu's like, like oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and I will say, if you want to see more of this storyline, there's a great Star Trek Continues episode, this fan yeah. series, and it's called Ferris of Them All, uh, mm-hmm. a play on Mirror, Mirror on the Wall, of course. And it follows up what happens back in the Mirror Universe after those guys return. Uh, to their enterprise, and uh, and if I had one plot hole, we're always joking about all these miscellaneous plot holes in this episode. It's just always fun. I I never really understood. Like, okay, I understand that our people are over there, and they got to get in the transporter and beam out. But were their people over here, and also in our transporter, did they transport at the same time simultaneously? At I the think end, they that transported was, that was, that was out of the. Unclear. I think they, they it was simultaneous, and they must have transported out of the brig somehow you know what like th- it is weird how this happens and they have the right switch of clothes i don't know i i think that uh the bajoran prophets had something to do with it so that uh, the mirror <laughs> universe could appear near bajor and i don't know <laughs> there we go weird a future idea. star trek novel to be written about that no doubt justin <laughs> yeah so. it's the prophets whenever I, something i did explained. have one little tidbit about the episode um which i found quite interesting it's the first and only time we see the tantalus field in use um, to kind of erase crew members that um, you don't like. Um, and I was thinking Tantalus, I, I just finished reading Stephen Fry's book, Mythos, about Greek mythology. Um, and Tantalus is kind of a Greek figure from um, Greek mythology. And he's famous for his eternal punishment in the Greek underworld of Tartarus, where he was made to stand in a pool of water with a, a fruit tree above him with low-hanging branches, but he could n- not quite reach the fruit to eat it. And any time he tried to take a drink of water, the water would recede. So this was like his kind of hell. He couldn't eat, he couldn't drink. And there is a theory in Star Trek that the Tantalus field didn't kill you. It just teleported you to a different time. And there was an unproduced script, apparently, for Enterprise that would have had William Shatner in it and in the mirror universe Spock was going to kind of use the Tantalus field on Kirk transport him back to 2120 and then after 30 years he would meet the Enterprise crew or the, of the NX-01 I, I definitely wish they would have made that episode it's a shame that that didn't happen apparently it would have cost mm-hmm. too much money though <laughs> yeah. Shatner has quite a fee so <laughs> and, and, and the last couple seasons of Enterprise didn't have much of a budget, no, so there you go. No. But uh, oh, okay. but f- final thought on this: Can we all agree that Spock looks way cooler with a goatee? Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Yeah. No, yes. no, he looks he looks equally cool in both. I think. Well, oh, well, thank you. See, Justin, you have a goatee. I think you look cooler than me. Well, here, here's the thing: No, if, if <laughs> I look cooler than I used to without it. I met Justin in person for the first time three or four weeks ago, and um, yeah. if you're wondering why I grabbed my wallet when I met you, it's because of this episode. I thought all people with goatees were bad guys. Um, when I was a only Vulcans, kid. Yeah. only Vulcans. Okay. Yeah, I know, I know. I, I've learned, I've learned. Um, but back in the seventies, goatees were were not uh, a common. But you did see okay. like evil professors always seem to have them, and um, and Spock had them. You know, and I mean, then, people talk about the goatee yeah, in this funny. episode, but isn't it only Spock that has a goatee in the mirror universe? It is, it is. Yeah, but it is so. just that that just was so prominent. Anyway, mm-hmm. it was just kind of a funny so thing. So iconic. Yeah, very. It is. Hold on. I've, I've, something's just occurred to What's me. That? Yeah. Justin, you are quite measured and kind of logical. Yeah. You've also got a goatee. Mm-hmm. Yes. Who's to say you're not a Vulcan from the Mirror Universe and you've had your ears surgically altered to try and appear as human? I mean, there's no way that I can convince you if that's the question you're going to ask. 
Hmm. <laughs> Let's let's That's test him with the agonizer. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. Oh, and by the way, that is a great line in the show. Your agonizer, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah uh, the, per- so the personal agonizer on your belt, apparently. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh man! Well, uh, one of the all-time greats in Star Trek, and, and yep. clearly it has reverberated through the decades because even Discovery based half a season off this very episode and concept. So, so moving on to our final episode in the fan collective we're talking about today from the original series turnabout intruder of course the last episode produced of the original series where captain kirk and a jilted ex-lover switch bodies uh Haley and i actually did a recent episode about this standard orbit 262 swap so look up that for our thoughts in depth on the episode but let's wrap back around and let's start with you joe what are your thoughts on turnabout intruder it's a interesting one to discuss uh captain kirk has a really bad spray tan <laughs> Like, see, if you watch it in, like, the remaster on, like, a big TV, it's just really patchy. You know, like, I work in a high school, so um, when teenagers kind of start spray tanning for the first time, they obviously have just slapped it on in a lot of cases. And I think, I've never done it before, personally, but I think there's a a method to spray tanning, and it's about, like, exfoliating and moisturizing, not putting it on your hands, (laughs) using the special gloves. Um, yeah, I think his was done by a teenage girl. Joe, I love how unpredictable you are. We asked you about an episode, and I had no idea you were going to talk about spray tanning. It was really obvious. <laughs> it's like we have a 55-inch TV, and it's like Kirk's spray tan. It looks like a chessboard. <laughs> it's really terrible. Anyway, that aside, um, I, can't, I think I wanted, given this is the last episode ever, I kind of wanted it to be better than it was. I think, I think we, we all do. <laughs> yeah. Um... There did William Shatner, because he's essentially playing a woman in a man's body. Did he play it intentionally a bit more clipped and shrill without being high pitched? And then there's a little bit when they're having that investigation, the courtroom scene at the end, where he purses his lips. As if, mm, there's some, there's that. some very intentional yeah. like behavior and tone of voice and all of that that he's doing, which is one of the reasons yeah, I hate I this that. episode. But um, so. Not, I can, yeah, it was an okay episode. I do, my favorite bit by far is the end sequence where the Enterprise flies by. And there's a lot of information in that for me. Um, <laughs> and for us as Star Trek fans. So they're flying towards M45, which is the Pleiades cluster, also known as the Seven Sisters. And it is where the planet of Vel- Velara 3 is located, which you'll know from the TNG episode Home Soil. Where they're terraforming oh, and okay. there's the little crystal silicon based life forms. Um, also, interestingly, there's an image of the Pleiades in the episode The Cage. So I think it's quite fitting that they use that as the the final the final image that you see in Turnabout Intruder. So the Pleiades is about four hundred stars, but 25 light years across the collection of stars and it's about 415 light years from earth wow i think we need like a whole series joe where you talk about stars and galaxies across star trek like the <laughs> earl gray science series that yeah. we do mm, you should listen to that <laughs> <laughs> yeah so turnabout intruder i mean what can i say about one of my least favorite episodes in all of star trek i mean so it's about it <laughs> you just said it <laughs> i did not know this 
You did not wow. know. You, you haven't heard me talk. Well, I, we, I talked about it at some other point, but for, for several reasons. Okay, first of all, the premise of this episode is that Janice Lester has all of this resentment and wants to kill Kirk or swap bodies or whatever because women can't be captains, which is, I think, one of the most terrible things that was thankfully ignored later on. And then she you know, has these different lines about like how terrible it is to be a woman and all like all this stuff. And and then, you know, they swap bodies and you see and you see Kirk and like he changes in like his movements and his tone and he's he's, you know, playing things more feminine. He's like filing his nails at one point. There's so many things in this episode that totally grate on me and it's definitely one of my least favorite episodes um in in Star Trek. I mean there's actually not too much in this episode that i really like so what can i say yeah okay amy wow justin i'm very surprised to hear why this why are you surprised um, to hear this i because i wow i because their opinion is different you Go usually ahead. like everything <laughs> you know so um you know i was watching it and i felt like the story i was just like jumped in. I was in my notes. I'm like, who is this guy in the orange jumpsuit? And <laughs> what what happened? Like it just, it jumped right in. I didn't really have any backstory. I didn't know who Janice Lester was. I mean, obviously she had had years of study to understand Starfleet code and what a captain can do and the, you know, the laws and bylaws of what Starfleet can do. And I was like, who is are these people and now we're swapping and she's so angry like there wasn't enough backstory for me to really get invested into Janice Lester or Dr. Coleman I knew that they were you know working together but when uh William Shatner puts his hand on Dr. Coleman's and is asking Dr. Coleman to kill Kirk who's Janice Lester. I was like, wow, that I loved that. And I was like, ooh, that's that's pretty risky uh, to be doing that, to play that. Um, and so then that's when I got sort of the more backstory of who this Dr. Coleman and Janice Lester were. But again, were they working on this body swapping procedure before? How were they doing it without Starfleet knowing about it? There were so many questions that I it was hard to follow the story but I liked, there was a couple of things that I really liked was that they were so optimistic about when they were talking about Starfleet and especially Starfleet Medical where Dr. McCoy's like, well, we need to have the facts and there's not going to be any political movement or political gain like Starfleet Medical. They're going to, they're uninhibited uninhibited by these politics. And if someone wants to take over, Starfleet Medical is going to stop it. And so we have to go with the facts. And I thought that was pretty optimistic. And they all seem to believe that Starfleet Medical and just Starfleet Command, if given the facts, would not have any bias and would make the correct decision. And I thought that was interesting to hear uh, in this last episode. One thing at the end I did not like was when they did finally swap, like she ends up crying and then they were way too forgiving. Like she gets to go (laughs) and be taken care of by someone who loves her. I mean, really, that's no, you don't get, that's not a punishment. You know, Dr. Coleman's going to go, oh, I'm going to take care of you. And no, that was not punishment for what she did. (laughs) 
I didn't take that as being the final final, though, but okay. <laughs> I, I, I did, at least, but yeah. Well, what did she What did she really do that was that bad? Nobody died? Oh, wait, no, you're right. She killed her entire uh, team. <laughs> yeah, uh, on a planet. yeah <laughs> she killed a bunch of people and was trying to kill Kirk and swap bodies with him without his consent. There's a lot of bad stuff in there. But it, was, it was low budget season three. All that stuff was off screen, so it slipped my mind. <laughs> but yeah, she did some horrible things. I agree. <laughs> As Zach pointed out, we did do... Uh, an episode recently about this so if you want to hear more of my thoughts on this episode I know it's bad it's it's awful a lot of people will say this is you know it really is anti-feminine and everything else but on the other side you know I I posit this if the situation were reversed if Lester had been a man and Kirk had been a woman and so you just basically reverse their roles. Story's still the same. It would have totally been fine. It would have been, no one would have been like, oh my gosh, this is awful. How dare you say that women can't be captains? And but I have to say reversed in, in, reversed in what way? Like there's a different universe where men can't be captains? Kind of, sort of. So like if it was men, men have a harder time getting to be captains. And so a man was doing all of these things and switched his body with a woman so that he could be captain. And then kind of, you know, clearly the person was not the same. And, you know, people notice, but no one really says anything. And then they're conspiring and all this stuff and basically says, okay, I'm going to murder everybody who's against me because I have to keep control and I have to stay in power and I have to be this captain. I don't know necessarily if everyone would say, oh my gosh, this episode is really awful. Like the story itself is not that great, but as a science fiction story, it really is kind of interesting, this whole body swap thing. I mean, there's the movie Freaky Friday and they redid Freaky Friday. Um, and and so this the concept of the episode is very sci-fi. It's very science fiction. I think what it is is people are like, oh my gosh, this poor woman, she never got to, you know, she had all this ambition like a man and wanted these things that a man could have. And in the time, you know, Starfleet saying, oh, well, women can't be captains. If you reverse those roles, would it necessarily be seen in that same light as, this is awful. How dare they say that men can't be captains and, oh, a man has ambition and wants to be a captain. That's a typical typical role and typical aspects that a man would want. So, Well, let me just say it this way. I think the big problem that I have is it seems to be against the ideals of Starfleet as we've seen them before this point. And if you have a different society where that's the case, maybe that would be consistent with their ideals, like men can't do these things and they're struggling against it. And you look at it and the, like the big problem that I have is it seems so much against what you have seen before and what you see after should be the ideals of the Federation in terms of of equality of opportunity for being able to do whatever that you want. That's the part that, that bothers me. But it is interesting to think about, you know, reversing that around. But I think in order to do that, it would have to be an alternate universe or a different alien culture or something like that. Well, and I, I say, you know, don't take anything after. Up to this point in TOS, we haven't had a female You haven't captain. seen it, but nobody has said that it's not possible. It's true. <laughs> but at this point, they're saying it's not mm. possible. Women can't be, maybe women can be captains on like a medical ship or a transport ship or something like that, but we still haven't actually seen it. So. Well, there was, there was nothing before this episode to indicate that that was a problem. And then, you know, Gene Rodden, it's a lot that, about this episode that, um, 
is is frustrating. First of all, you have seen a female captain, as I pointed out. She just happened to be Romulan. And um, and she was the first major female captain right up and through we got to Voyager that had a significant role uh, and, and a part to play in any of the shows. Um, but what they did is they tried to create a plot point by going in that direction. And at that point, they weren't even paying attention to what they had established. Now, I found it fascinating that this is one of the few TOS episodes that calls back to other episodes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. One of the very few, which I thought was was interesting because in this episodic realm that we lived in in TOS, they very, very rarely did that. But in this one, they did. So I don't there, there really is no excuse for coming up with that line about women can't be captains. Um, in fact, I don't even know. Gene Roddenberry tried to pull that back. And it's like, you got to own this, dude. Story it by. Out, yeah. Put out on your watch. Your name. Your name is on the credits, yeah. written by Gene Roddenberry in the opening credits. That's right. Come on, and he man. said, Come on, Gene. Yeah, and he's he's been trying to pull that back for years, as he should, because it was stupid. Right. But what they were trying to, you know, uh, people can get all up, you know, uptight about it. And I go, it, it was it was a story plot that they were trying to fit to make this person nuts. Um, and that's it was very lazy writing uh, to to do that. Having said that, I thought that the um, the episode itself was not good, but it wasn't the worst. I also thought that, that Shatner's acting was really, really good. I thought he pulled it off. I really did. Yes, there's some overt feminine traits. I get it. Um, but I've seen that in 5,000 other TV shows. And, you know, it's it's just one of those things when, when people, you know, do it. I mean, my God, Milton Berle made a living doing that um there's there's a lot of people that 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 you know have have played those things where they've gone but i you know other than the filing of the nails i didn't really see anything else and it was like i thought for him at this point they knew they were canceled um there wasn't a lot of energy but i all thought they brought their a-game to the show it was a you know it's kind of like you know sometimes you, you get a lousy script and you can tell the actors are miserable and in this case, they tried to pull it off, and um, it didn't work, unfortunately, I think, that well. But there were some really clever things in this episode, too, like um, that plot at the end where, you know, Kirk says, or Lester says, play that recording out in the hallway. That was yeah. <laughs> that was like, don't, you know, that, I mean, there was some clever little nuanced things they did in this episode that I thought that were okay. And like in any bad episode, you can find some good things, but... Yeah, you know, I I don't think that the uh, the premise of Star Trek, unfortunately, one line in the last episode of a poor a poor thing is kind of stigmatized TOS. I don't believe that that was the ideals of Starfleet. But I look back to that time. Um, you know, women couldn't even serve aboard ships until the 1980s, um, and then I'm sorry, I'm sorry, 1991. So think about that, right? So I mean, it was way above it, way ahead of itself, but it didn't get over that last ceiling as it could have. Um, but it it is shown the way on so many other things. It's a shame that that line was left in there. Uh, it's a shame that that's that's the way it went because um, I don't think anybody up until that point watching the show would have thought that there would have been any ceilings at all. That's just not the way it's been played. So like you said, Justin, it doesn't make any sense. You know, and to your point about, you know, Shatner playing and sexist and for against feminists, like I didn't read it that way because I felt that was a part of the problem of the story is that he was trying to impersonate someone who we had no idea. So 
he just, it, it just had to be generalize a woman because we didn't know Janice Lester. We don't know her characteristics. Like if he were to play Uhura, then he could have specific Uhura characteristics that he could play off of. But we have no idea who this Janice Lester is. So it just has to be something that he comes up with and sort of a very broad stroke of what this woman Janice Lester would do. So I, I didn't see any issue with that. And I agree with you, Ken. His acting was amazing. You knew the two different characters. Yeah, that's a great point, Amy. I, I think body swap movies, episodes of shows, they're they're most satisfying when you, you have two established characters and actors switching because you're like, oh, look, so-and-so's picking up off that off this character who we've seen for two years or something like that, as opposed to the guest star of the week takes over the captain. You're like, well, I don't even know. I have no frame of reference for that. So I think that that, that is a great point you make there. And then, Haley, to kind of wrap back around to what you were saying as we wrap up, I, I think that... Um, your, your, your point is valid about like the whole like, okay, remove the sexual politics, if you will, the gender politics, right? But then as Justin said, you kind of have to live in an alternate universe where that is the case. So I think if you want to do just complete neutral, you leave that out of it, you just have a person, another officer, a man officer who wants to be a captain of a starship and then like kidnaps Captain Kirk and tries to switch. And then it would have been a very just kind of middle of the road, like no hot button issues or anything like that for, for this episode. And as I always say, if this episode wasn't the last episode, of the whole show, it would have gotten kind of lost in the shuffle. And like, oh, I remember that one where Kirk's ex-girlfriend possessed his body. Yeah, that was weird. And then you would move on. But since it's the last one, it kind of like like hangs there like this awkward last like plot of an episode. And that's what kind of uh, goes yeah. into its reputation. That's yeah, a shame. Yep. Yeah, because they killed the series four episodes sooner than they wanted to. And so it was supposed to go a little bit further. And I think to your point, Joe, um, what they did when they did the remaster with the very last shot, was a lot like Star Trek VI. And um, so I appreciated that. I don't think I've... It's probably the first time I've watched it, watched it as a remastered because it's not one of those things you <laughs> watch this episode. Uh, <laughs> at least it wasn't for me anyway. But um, it was one of those things I went, oh, well, that, that's that's kind of neat the way they, they finished it off. And you're kind of like, yeah, okay, off she goes. But um, yeah. That is the first thing I thought about when I saw that um, sequence. It was like second star to the right and straight onto yeah, morning. Yeah, it, was, it felt exactly mm-hmm. like that. That's cool. Yeah. Or Star Trek Six felt exactly like that end bit of Turnabout Intruder. All right. Well, there's our fan collective for the original series. You know, just as we wrap up here, final thoughts on anything. Like, are there any episodes that, that might have worked in this kind of collective? The only one I could think of was... City on the Edge of Forever because they make an alternate that's more time timeline, travel, yeah. but that's more time travel. So that's the thing with time travel and like parallel universes. They're so like connected, especially in Star Trek. Like there's a, there's a lot of overlap there. So looking at it, I nothing really stuck out to me as oh they should have included this episode. I think you know that they picked a a good batch and, and made them work in the framework of their uh, theme. The cage would have worked. Like twisted realities. If we're including yeah. like altered lives with the the, the visions mm. that the Talosians mm-hmm. gave Captain Pike. Good point. Yeah, very good. Okay, that's that. Throw the menagerie in there too. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yep. All right, guys. Well, it's been a lot of fun talking about the fan collective set and this part one of our two part crossover this week. And I'm looking forward to next time tomorrow on Earl Grey. But before we sign off, Amy, Justin, Joe, where can people find you out there on the internet? 
Well, you can find me on Earl Grey, that's for sure. Uh, you can find me also on the network hosting The Edge, which is about Star Trek Discovery, which I wish I would have watched Mirror Mirror before <laughs> season one of Discovery, but hey, that's okay. Hindsight's good. <laughs> and I am on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, and I'm right here in the Babel Conference, so you can contact me there. Joe? Uh, people can find me also on Earl Grey hosting. Um, I'm everybody's favourite host from Scotland. I L- said from Scotland. Okay. Yes. Um, you can get me on Twitter at joeyjoe77uk. You can email me, joepodcasts at gmail.com, and you can get me on the Babel Conference. All right. So, well, you can find me also on Earl Grey and on The Line, our new Star Trek Picard podcast, uh, which I co-host with my friends Chrissy Zalagi and Brandon Shea Matala. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. And you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. Alrighty. You know, Amy, that, that made me think of one last thing about Mirror Mirror. I was, I was so... Uh, uh, proud of Discovery for picking up on that plot line from all the other Mirror Universe episodes where they have a really uh, problem with their eyes and how they have to keep it dark. If you notice in every single episode of Star Trek before Discovery, when you're in the Mirror Universe, everyone has eye problems and the lights are bright. So I'm really glad they paid attention to that continuity so, so carefully. Thank you for that shot across the bow of Discovery. As always a wise guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help myself. So. Anyway, guys, always fun to do these crossovers, part one or two. Everybody stay tuned tomorrow for Earl Grey, where we talk about the TNG episodes in this collection. But that's not the only thing we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, The Ready Room. Is this the Supernatural Klingon episode? What is this going to be? And then it just turns out to go in, you know... Go in and you know, dig your own time crystals, State Park. I mean, it's like, okay. I Well, Larry, again, you know, he, you, he you, you go it. in there and you there's a like a, a basket type thing there. And you, you put in your 10 quat lose and you mm-hmm. get 60 minutes to dig your time crystal. Darsex. Darsex. Yeah. Yeah, actually, the Klingons want Darsex, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go in and actually, however many time crystals you can dig in 60 minutes, you get to keep. But the catch is they're time crystals. So 60 minutes to one person is only a minute to someone else. That- Literary Treks. Uh, we have the conversation between Pike and the uh, the Star- Starfleet Admiral Terrell uh, about the specifics of why they were kept out of the war. This is even before we're in a situation where they have no choice but to stay out of the war. They couldn't go back if they wanted to. By, you know, sort of setting up the, the the milestones in the story for this is about when this is happening during season one. Uh, you know, that allows us to tell our own independent story within that. But yet also, you'll always know where you are in the regular TV show. Earl Grey. That question about whether life exists, either yes, it does, because like enough time has elapsed and there's enough planets out there, or no, it doesn't. Because we are that race. Oh, <laughs> that seeds yeah. life elsewhere in the universe. At the some point the other the answer is it did, but they all destroyed themselves. You know, but that's that's also kind of unlikely that you'd have lots of civilizations all doing the same thing and destroying themselves. I think. But to the journey. <laughs> the that's all I could think about with that this one. Is, this is the Seinfeld in space episode. And keep waiting for Elaine to show up. I'm trying to think of what 
Jerry Seinfeld would say in Jerry Seinfeld's tone of voice inside this episode. Can you do can you do, can you do a good Jerry Seinfeld? Oh, good grief, no. Not even close. I'm trying to think how I would approach doing a Jerry Seinfeld impersonation. It's not coming to me. <laughs> <laughs> He's got that super high pitched da 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 kind of I don't know, kind yeah. of voice. Well, that you did really well, the da 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 da. So yeah. There you go. Why don't they just warp out of here? <laughs> And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, you can get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MB3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trekfm slash contact and look at the sidebar on the show page, or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trekfm.com and click Discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, Dan Rhodes, and Mike Richards. Your contributions and support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach, that's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Hold On To Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville, with one S. I'm also the co-host of Franchise Fatigue, a podcast where we look at sequels, remakes, movie franchises, and when a franchise gets fatigued. You can find us on Twitter at UFP Earth, part of the United Federation of Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Trekkie01D. You can also hear me talking about both Discovery and the Orville over on the Fandom Podcast Network's Discoville podcast that drops every week. So thanks everyone for listening. And join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. Standard Orbit.